Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Emmanuel's. My name's Anil, if you've not met me before, and I'm the Associate Minister here at Christchurch. Please bow your heads to pray. Merciful Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder, have you ever felt like you are on the outside looking in? Like you've been excluded or made to feel ashamed for something you've done? Do you know what it feels like to have the world around you gossip and whisper about you? My family and I went to see the film Cats over the holidays, uh, and in it there's this one character, and in the stage show, of course, called Grizabella, um, the glamour cat. Anyone here seen the show, either on cinema or in the theatre? A few lonely people. Great. It's a great film. Uh, Grizabella was once a famous singer, adored by all, but she made a mistake, and she was cast out and thrown down by the people who once held her high. We meet Grizabella later on, uh, broken, tatty, clothes torn and dirty, isolated, exposed and vulnerable, longing to be accepted, but only finding rejection from the people she came to meet. Do you see yourself in any way in Grizabella's story? Do you wonder if anyone will ever let you back in? Or perhaps, have you treated someone like they are a Grizabella? If you feel haunted by the mistakes of your past, then know today that Jesus knows everything you have ever done. And in spite of it all, he offers you the most wonderful gift that will change your life. This is the third sermon in our new series, Encountering Jesus. And it would be great if you could have your Bibles open before you as we look at this uh, together, this familiar story of the woman at the well. It's on page 1066 of the smaller church Bibles or 1051, I think, of the larger ones. Uh, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Jesus is, is passing through Samaria on his way to the Judean countryside, on his way, sorry, from the Judean countryside in the south, uh, heading north, uh, further north to the region of Galilee. And he stops at this small town, Sychar, for a rest, uh, and his disciples go off to get some food. So here he is, uh, verse 6, Jesus tired from his journey. It's about midday, so the sun is, is high and hot, uh, and so he sits down by a well. Into this scene walks a Samaritan woman, verse 7, carrying a, a heavy jar on her head or her shoulder to draw water from this well. Now, imagine this woman, dressed probably head to foot in long, dark, heavy gowns. Perhaps there's a veil over her face. She's had to walk maybe five, ten minutes outside of her town, carrying a heavy jar to collect water at the hottest time of the day in a dry, hot country. And then remember that she's the same woman has to trundle back to where she came from, carrying this heavy jar now full of water in the heat of the day. You have to ask yourself, what is she doing here? 
Usually, usually, as is custom, all the women of the village would travel together about twice a day to go and collect the, uh, the water early morning uh, and late in the afternoon when the sun was cooler and it was less hard work. And this activity of catching water was kind of the social highlights of the day, where these women would chat and gossip and, and natter, the younger women helping the older, more frail women with their water to draw this, this jug up from a 100-foot well. It was a social thing, a community thing. So what is she doing here, all alone, at the hottest time of the day? Jesus, seeing this woman approaching, says, verse 7, Will you give me a drink? This woman, surprised by Jesus' request, said to him, verse 9, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, you probably know this, but Jews and Samaritans didn't really get along. The Jews regarded the Samaritan cousins uh, as people who rejected God, who had defiled themselves, uh, and turned to worship false gods. The hostility between the two was often bloody, uh, and for a Jew to be called a Samaritan was one of the strongest insults you could give. Ignoring her comment, Jesus answers in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The rest of the conversation between Jesus and this woman explores two themes, the, the gift of God and who Jesus is. This woman is again flummoxed by Jesus. She sees him sitting here alone and without a jar himself. Where on earth can he get this living water from? This well was dug by Jacob, the great father of both the Jewish and Sumerian people, if it was good enough for Jacob and his children, well, it's good enough for her. Who does Jesus think he is? Jesus answered, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. That water will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The word Jesus uses for gift is used only here in the Gospels and four times in the book of Acts. And each time it refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God is described as the source of living water. Jeremiah writes in chapter 2, verse 13, God said, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The Holy Spirit is said of in Isaiah 44, verse 3, with these words. God said, For I will pour water onto the thirsty land and streams onto the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing." on your descendants. What is the gift of God that this woman should have asked for? It is God's Holy Spirit that he gives freely and abundantly to all who come to Jesus and ask him for it, for him. God's Holy Spirit inside a believer 
is living and active. This word welling up uh, that Jesus says has the, the sense of jumping and leaping. Like when a fire hydrant is hit in an American movie and that water shoots up relentlessly, ceaselessly, unstoppingly. That's the kind of language of the Spirit inside of believers. Now, it's obvious the woman hasn't really grasped the spiritual undertones Jesus is getting at here. When she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I can not be thirsty and not have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, we might perhaps patronize or pity her for her misunderstanding, but I wonder, how often do we truly grasp what Jesus is saying here? I imagine many of us sitting here, most of us perhaps, would call ourselves Christians, and so, according to Jesus, we already have this Spirit, His Spirit, God's Spirit, the person of the Trinity living inside of us, jumping and leaping and shooting up inside of us relentlessly like a, like a fire hydrant. But is that your everyday experience of life with God? Of life in God? Is your human thirst always satisfied by your relationship with Jesus through his Holy Spirit? In John chapters 14 to 16, Jesus gives much clearer teaching and encouragement about his spirit, about his spirit's work in our lives, in his role in the lives of a believer. God's spirit, Jesus says, is given by Jesus as another advocate, a helper to take the place of Jesus in the lives of his disciples once Jesus had returned to his Father. The Spirit's main work is to mediate Christ's presence in and amongst his disciples, to make Christ real to us, uniting us with God, his Father, Jesus' Son, and creating a deep and intimate relationship between them and us, the Holy Trinity, and all who believe. It is this relationship that lasts to eternal life. It is our thirst, our longing for a relationship with God that His Spirit satisfies in the here and now until all who believe come fully into the presence of God when we die and enter into the promised eternal life with Him. This is the wonderful, abundant, supernatural gift Jesus gives to all who believe in Him. All who ask for his spirit in faith have already received him. But who is this Jesus who can give living water to all who ask for it? Verse 16, Jesus told the woman, go and call your husband and come back to me. She replied, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. Suddenly, all the questions we have about this woman begin to be answered for us. This woman was here, alone, away from the community of women at the hottest time of the day because, like Grisabella, she was excluded from her community because her lifestyle had made her socially unacceptable. Now, in recent years, many have tried to, to rewrite and retell the woman's story, saying that she was a victim of her circumstances, that she was property 
tossed around by arrogant, chauvinistic, patriarchal men of her town. That she was consecutively divorced by men for burning the supper. Or that uh, it was nothing immoral here, just her husbands had died. And as is custom in Jewish law, uh, she was uh, remarried by brothers and uh, family relatives. Or that in her culture, she needed a man to protect and look after her and give her housing. Some of these may very well be true. All of them might be true to some degree. The Greek word here for husband can either mean man or husband. And so this tells us one of two stories. Either she has had five husbands through a series of deaths or divorces in a society where only men could obtain a divorce. She had no choice. Or she's had a series of affairs. The meaning of either is ambiguous. We don't know. What is clear, what's not ambiguous, is that when Jesus says, finally, the man you have now is not your husband, what he means is that the last man is the husband of another woman. This woman's sin stands out like a red stain on a white sheet. This woman has been shunned and outcast from her community because of her choices. Rather than joining the women at the well to gossip, she has become, in all likelihood, the women's gossip when she's not there. And now she stands before Jesus, exposed, isolated, and vulnerable. Is having sex with someone before or outside of marriage sinful? Yes. Is divorce and remarriage permitted? Jesus and Paul say in circumstances, yes. Rare circumstances. Is adultery sinful? Yes. Jesus confronts this woman with her sin, and he is clear and upfront about it. There's no hiding it. There's no denying it. There's no running away from it. Here she is exposed, isolated, and vulnerable, with nowhere to hide, since Jesus knows everything she ever did, as she says in verse 29. What is Jesus going to do? He has the power to condemn her. What is she going to do? What is Jesus going to do with this vulnerable woman? Did you notice that although Jesus confronts this woman with her sin, he doesn't condemn her for it? Jesus names her sins for three reasons. Firstly, to demonstrate his supernatural, divine knowledge about her. Secondly, to help her recognize what her sin is so she can turn away from it. But thirdly, and crucially in our passage, he wants her to realize that she's been trying to quench her thirst in all the wrong places. She has been digging her own wells with broken walls that cannot hold water. This woman has been ignoring God, forsaking him and looking for life, love and fulfillment for refreshing water in the arms of these men. But she's now being introduced to the only man who could show her what perfect, refreshing love really looks like. If you were to ask yourself honestly, what brings me happiness? What am I living for? What is my security in? What are my hopes set on? 
how would you truthfully answer that? Your spouse, your family, your job, your bank account, your body, your health, your friendships, your status in the community or in the church? Where have you dug wells to try and find refreshing water? As an aside, if you really want to engage with this question honestly, then let me encourage you to come along to our Life Explored course starting this Thursday, where we wrestle with these questions. Sign up after the service or speak to me. What was it for this woman? Men. Or at least the security they brought her. She was looking to all these men to quench her thirst, spiritually speaking. She was digging her own well, but the cistern is broken and cannot hold water. It's not nourishing, it's not life-giving, but instead leaves her parched and desperate. Are you drinking water from broken cisterns that can never satisfy you? Are you trying to store water in cracked jugs, watching it slip through your hands? You don't need a new well. You can't mend your pipes. You can't fix your jar. You don't need to look for water elsewhere. What you need is living water to come up from inside of you. What you need is the gift that only Jesus can give to you. The woman stood before Jesus, exposed, isolated, and vulnerable. But instead of condemning her like her community had done, instead of judging her like the women would, he revealed himself to her. He offered her his Holy Spirit to cleanse her and give her life. Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that a Messiah called the Christ is coming. Then Jesus declared to her, I who speak to you am he. Part of the beauty of this passage is that this woman came to the well in the heat of the day alone, expecting not to see anyone, not to be disturbed or mocked. And yet, Jesus interrupted her plans. He sought after her. He pursued her. He found her and invited her to come into a relationship with him. Like this woman before God, your sin leaves you exposed, isolated, and vulnerable. Is Jesus, by his Spirit, interrupting your plans and your thoughts right now? You can trust Jesus to be vulnerable with him. You don't have to be afraid to be naked and exposed before Jesus. He won't mock you. He won't isolate you. He won't shame you into going out into the heat of the day to fetch water from dirty pipes. You can trust Jesus enough to be honest with him about your sin because he loves you in spite of it all. You don't need to feel ashamed anymore. You may think, if only you knew. If only you knew what I've done, what's happened to me. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says God does know. God knows and he cares about you. He loves you and cares for you so much that even in your brokenness 
and mess, he would willingly give his life for you. And that's exactly what he did. Meeting Jesus for the first time can often be painful. We're always exposed before him, our lives laid bare in all their grimy details. Maybe God's Holy Spirit is doing this in you today. Maybe he's stirring within you a secret sin that you've kept hidden that you thought no one knew. Jesus knows. Maybe your sin is more public. Maybe you're so used to it you're not ashamed of it anymore. Sexual sin, like this woman. Financial sin, lying on your tax returns due next week. Putting your needs and your desires before that of your spouses or your children. Ignoring the weak, the needy, neglecting the poor or less materially blessed than you. Brothers and sisters, don't treat sin lightly. Your sin matters. If it didn't, Jesus wouldn't have had to die to remove it from you. Deep in your hearts, you know this. The pain and the brokenness of the mess of the world around you or the guilt and shame you know from the lies you've told or been told. You probably know things that you are doing that God doesn't approve of. You may have just gotten very good at saying it doesn't matter. If you become numb to your sin, pray that God would give you eyes to see it and repent of it and turn back to him. Receive living water that shoots up from inside of you, carrying you forth to eternal life. Whatever your sexual history, whether you've had one marriage or five, whatever your past, whatever your mistakes, know for certain that if you repent, believe that Jesus is Lord, your sins are completely forgiven. They are completely paid for. Jesus' one sacrifice of himself in our place was more than enough to make you clean before God. The shock twist of this story is that this woman, who was excluded from her community because of her sin, now rushes back to the very people who rejected her and tells them of her encounter with Jesus. Finding fulfillment and acceptance in Jesus, beginning to grasp his offer of living water, she longs for everyone, her persecutors and her friends, to come into the hearing of it also. She wants to share it with them. This is life-changing, life-saving news. Why wouldn't she share it with those around her? Why wouldn't we? And this brings me to my final perhaps sharpest application for some of us here today. Who do we shun? Who is it that we look at and think, your sin is too great? And we ostracize them or mock them or exclude them or isolate them or judge them because they're not like us. Because they've done things that lower the moral standards we set. They're not one of us. We know it. They know it. And so we don't mix with them, we don't tarnish our relationships by mingling with them or damage our reputation. We won't admit it. Maybe we become so used to ignoring them that we don't see them anymore at all. Would Jesus shun them? Or would he embrace them and give them the gift of living water? Will we do Likewise. There's a fashion photographer called David LaChapelle, uh, and once he did a series of hard-hitting images called Jesus is My Homeboy, 
where he uh, played with this question, where would Jesus be today? This picture is called Intervention, and it imagines Jesus speaking up for a prostitute. Will you bear the shame and embarrassment and humiliation of loving someone who is unlike you, who doesn't meet your standards or the standards of our community? Will you meet them where they are in the heat of the day, crossing social boundaries, breaking social norms and conventions to love those who society says are the least lovable? Will you make the humiliating step of knowing that each of us is no better than them, and before God we both stand equally sinful and equally in need of his mercy? If you cross the streets around here, you'll find places full of people who need the love of Jesus just as much as we do. It'd be a miracle if the love of God compelled us to live lives so radical that these renewed walls will be filled with complete diversity and beauty and brokenness of our community being made right with God. I believe in a God of miracles. And I've witnessed him at work. By God's spirit, will we cultivate the mind and heart of Christ who longs for all people to come into his kingdom? Are we willing to roll up our sleeves, sacrifice our comfort and reputation and get about the work of harvesting, introducing people to Jesus? Having met Jesus, the people of this town turned to this woman and said to her, verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the whole world. Will you stand with me to pray? Let's bow our heads to pray. I realize that what I've said today will impact each of us in different ways. Right now in some of us, God's Spirit will be working and awakening, bringing us to a fresh realization of our sin, causing us to accept that we have turned our back on Him, the spring of living water, and have looked to other things for life, fulfillment, and joy. That we've dug our own cisterns, and is now forcing us to see that those cisterns are broken and cannot hold water. If God is doing this in you, then repent in your hearts, find forgiveness and mercy and water from God. Maybe you were once isolated and shunned like this woman and have found perfect love and acceptance in Jesus. If this is your story, then spend a moment now praying thanks again for his love and gift of living water. Maybe this is all a bit foreign to you. Maybe you can't notice God at work in your life at all, and I pray that his spirit would cause you to recognize your need for him. Not to shame you, but so that you will know true refreshment and joy that will carry you into eternal life. Maybe God's spirit is bringing you to realize that there is someone or even a whole group of people you have rejected and thought were not deserving of your time or who are unlovable. If this is you, let me encourage you to pray that hard prayer of asking God to break your stony heart towards them 
and to strengthen you to sacrificially love them. For all of us, ask God to raise in your mind a single person who you know has been ignoring God and has been digging their own broken wells. Pray that God sends his spirit ahead of you to bring them into relationship with him. And pray that like with this ostracized Samaritan woman, God will remove all your inhibitions and cause you to share your joy with them. That by his holy and life-giving spirit, they would come to believe in him also. Father, we lift these prayers to you in our hearts. We thank you, God, that you sent your son into our mess to rescue us, not to judge us. Help us to live lives that reflect your beauty, your beauty and your glory. Forgive us when we don't. And make us your people to bear your good news and witness to this community that these renewed walls will be filled with this whole community in all its wonderful diversity, praising your name, our Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world. Let's sing now of that beautiful name.